So hello and welcome once again, or for the first time, to Black Magic Treehouse. My name is Jose, and this podcast is all about traveling back to the creepy kid culture of the past, one bargain bin item at a time. We take a look at some of the weird and strange books that you might have encountered at the book fair or the school library, and uh, we see how they stack up to contemporary standards. Uh, as I said, my name is Jose, and I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Eric. Say hi, Eric. Hi, Eric. I think you did that the first time we ever recorded a podcast 10 years ago. I bet you're that, right. This <clears throat> is fresh and beloved as it was then. So thank you for keeping us consistent. That sounds like sarcasm. No. It sounds like it, but I do mean it genuinely, because this show is all about uh, getting the warm fuzzies from uh, things from our past, and your introduction from 10 years ago that you just reused kind of gives me the warm fuzzies. Makes me think back to simpler times. Know what I mean? Well, I was going to introduce myself as, I'm the fat, funny one, but uh, (laughs) then when you said, say hi, Eric, you know, what choice did I have? but to do uh, the George Burns, Gracie Allen re- retort. Exactly. I'm sorry to undercut your your original joke in such a merciless way, um, but hopefully we'll... we'll it's not recruit. a joke. I am the fat, funny one. Uh, well, so... And we do have to... Since we are a podcast, and that's basically a TV show for your ears, uh, we do have to uh, talk about these things. Uh, Theater of the that, mind. Um, people can... Uh, theater of the mind get a mental picture see how all this works so yes we are a podcast um and you know we're just starting out so we're gonna have some growing pains you know how these things go but you don't have to apologize every single episode it's it could just be what it is yeah I, i guess we could i guess that would be the adult thing to do but i'm going to sit here and you know wring my hands over the fact that we're still getting used to some things but i'm just gonna do it for like the first five 20 episodes tops, but no more than that. After the thing is, 20, I feel like when you apologize for the show, you're really just apologizing for me. And uh, <laughs> No, 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 no. So that's Not why I say, um, you know, we don't have to do that every time. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, I, I have plenty of flubs in my back pocket that I'm just looking to use at the most opportune or inopportune moments. So don't don't you worry about that. I got you covered. Um, but so what's this rate, show about, Jose? What is the show about? I feel like I mentioned that already. But just so how do we little, do this show, Jose? Yeah, why do we do it? Uh, why do we do anything that we do? Um, so I had the cute little elevator pitch of sorts. Uh, it's actually the description that you see on our website, which is blackmagictreehouse.com. It's the name of the site, the name of the podcast. How can you forget it? Um, But I say we're traveling back to the creepy kid culture of the past, one bargain bin item at a time. What that actually boils down to is uh, this is predominantly a book podcast, uh, but Eric and I also talk about other forms of media. Sometimes we'll talk about movies. Sometimes we'll talk about TV shows. uh, But we're specifically talking about stuff from our childhood, which was roughly we're looking at mid to late 80s to uh, early to mid 90s thereabouts and we get a little bit into the millennium too because that was about the time I was in middle school so some of the stuff still had its uh, its youthful sheen to it but we're talking about stuff 
that was made for kids that was creepy. Our first episode, we kind of addressed the elephant in the room. We discussed one of the original books from the 62 uh, book series Goosebumps by R.L. Stein. We talked about one of those. This is not, though, going to be a Goosebumps or even an R.L. Stein exclusive podcast. There were so many other series, big and small, beloved and obscure, back then that also catered to those morbid interests that uh, we had as we ones. And I have fond memories of them. Uh, Eric has some fond memories of them too. And there's of course some stuff that neither of us were exposed to, but in recent years and digging into this uh, niche of interest, we, we are discovering for the first time and we want to discover them with you. So if you like creepy stuff, back then when you were a kid and if you like creepy stuff now you found the right podcast we are so happy to have you like i said you can reach you can see us uh, these episodes are published through your podcatcher choice but you can also see them up on our website and if you want to reach out to the show we have a gmail uh address a gmail email address so we're legitimate uh but the address is going to be the name of the site black magic treehouse pod pod that's short for podcast at gmail.com how'd i do was that all right um yeah it was great <laughs> thanks um but yes the way it usually works out is that each episode has somebody taking on the responsibility of picking the topic for that episode and being the one to uh, espouse about it, to talk about it. Uh, so last episode, it was Eric's turn. And this episode, I've got it locked and loaded here. I'm ready to talk about it with Eric. And you kind of allowed me to guess last episode uh, what Goosebumps book you had selected. So I wonder if there's maybe a, a means that I can allow you to guess what this book is maybe by uh, showing it to me on camera like you are right now yeah maybe oh did, did you see <laughs> did you see it i mean uh yeah i can read upside down oh oh i didn't realize it was it was showing there oh, darn that's a shame well Oops. okay that was well that was fun surprise everybody except yeah surprise everybody but eric so it is in fact haha uh-huh, in a dark dark room is this a book that you are familiar with, sir? If it is what I think it is, I remember there being a video compilation that we got from the library that had like, a, you know, the animation that they would do back in the day where it wasn't like full animation, but it would just dissolve from like one illustration to the next. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that being a segment on there and it was like in a dark, dark room. There's a dark, dark door or whatever. And is that what it is? So this is... Uh, what we used to call, well, used to call at my public library where I used to work, we would refer to a book of this size and nature as a beginning reader. And in fact, the copy that I have is a weeded copy from my public library. So the little shelf tag on the side says juvenile beginning reader. So this book is actually the full title is in a dark, dark room and other scary stories. And they are retold by none other than our good friend, Mr. Alvin Schwartz. Author yeah. of uh, Cross Your Fingers, Spit in Your Hat. Yep. Most widely yep. most widely known of his works. And uh, what, what's another well-known? Uh, There's a Carrot in My Ear and Other Noodle Tales. 
busy buzzing bumblebees and other tongue twisters, uh, cop- ten copycats in a boat and other riddles. And uh, he also wrote this little thing called Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark that I think some of you might have heard about. Um, but I don't think that one tracked that much. Didn't get too much of a circulation on that one. Um, yeah, I want to know more about that carrot. Yeah, there's a carrot in my ear. What's up with that? <laughs> but uh, Alvin Schwartz, uh, of course, is the author of the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark uh, trilogy. Um which, of course, in their original editions had illustrations by Stephen Gamel. Um, that's, I don't know if you've heard about Stephen Gamel or his illustrations for those books. The internet seems pretty quiet on that subject. Uh, so I will espouse about them for the next hour. Just kidding. Nobody can shut up about Stephen Gamel's illustrations and with good reason. Uh, this book here, though, In a Dark, Dark Room, is not illustrated by Stephen Gamel. It is illustrated by a gentleman of the name Dirk Zimmer. And according to the bio at the back of the book, Dirk Zimmer is a native of Germany who now lives in New York City. He attended the Academy of Fine Arts in Hamburg, and his work has been shown in private galleries in Switzerland, Germany, and France. Mr. Zimmer has illustrated several children's books, including one he wrote himself called The Trick or Treat Trap. So, not a name that is as familiar as Stephen Gamble's, um, but not to get too far ahead of myself, I will say that there are definitely uh, aspects of Dirk Zimmer's work, his artwork, that I thoroughly enjoy. Um, I think he was a great fit for this book. So He definitely sounds like a guy who conquered the Martians at some point or yeah, right. had some other kind of pulp-style adventure. Yeah, Dirk Zimmer, Space Cadet, right? Exactly. Um, so, Eric, you mentioned that you have memories of perhaps maybe just the title story from one of those. Um, I don't know if it was exclusively Scholastic that I would have those kind of read aloud videos. Um, the company that I think, I don't know if it was like a sub company of Scholastic, but we still have some of these in the public library DVDs now um, called. Weston Woods. That was like the little logo you would see uh, heading those little read aloud compilations. Um, and I, I've never come across the one for this set. Do you remember if it was just the title story or was it the whole book? I don't remember because the other story that I remember being done in that style was, I don't recall if this was the same VHS or. I remember there was like an old lady introducing every story, and it was just like a shot of like her hands in her lap. Um, again, I might be I might be conflating different VHSs here, but I remember one called "Teeny Tiny and the Witch Woman." Oh wow, wow, wow! Yeah, so here's here's the thing about that. Um, like I said, we still have some of these DVDs in my public library. I borrowed one um, this past October called slightly scary stories and one of the ones on there is exactly the one you are mentioning and uh, i think uh there so i think there, there's some conflation there because uh on that compilation in a dark dark room was not on it um there was like some kind of generic one called on halloween night um that had like a witch tickling this kid's foot and a bunch of other monsters popping up the second one 
um, I really loved because it, I forget the name of it, um, but it was illustrated by James Stevenson, um, who you folks may not know by name, but if you saw his artwork, it would be probably instantly recognizable to you um, because it's in that 70s, 80s style. He did the artwork for a lot of poetry collections by Jack Prelutsky. He did the covers for like the original Ramona books by Beverly Cleary. It's kind of like that thin pencil type drawing with a kind of uh, peanuts type faces. That's what they remind me of. Uh, but the second story was narrated by uh, Bernard Hughes, who was the grandpa in Lost Boys. And he uh, also starred in the first, uh, he starred in the pilot episode of Tales from the Dark Side, Trick or Treat, which I love. That's a yearly tradition for me to watch around Halloween. And he narrated that second story, which was a delight. Um, and then the third story is Teeny Tiny and the Witch Woman. And when I saw that segment, and especially the way it opened with those hands, old woman's frail voice, it was a mixture of absolute love and a little bit of terror because I thought it was very, very frightening, especially for kids. Not just that opening segment, that framing device, but the actual story itself. It gets really rough in the way that great folklore and fairy tales do. But yeah, uh, that's that's a great segment, teeny tiny. Well, well, we may have to talk about that in a future episode. It's great. <laughs> I believe we shall. But uh, yeah, I don't know about In a Dark, Dark Room. Um, if it is in one of those compilations, I'd love to find it someday. But uh, yeah, that's the book that we're going to be talking about today. Um, so the subtitle is And Other Scary Stories. And what we do in each episode, we usually like to share the cover to the book. Can you describe to us what we're seeing on the cover to In a Dark, Dark Room here? Well, I'll tell you, it looks like a group of, I don't know if these are supposed to be kids in Halloween costumes on the front porch, or if they're just supernatural ne'er-do-wells, but there's a collection of oddities standing outside of an open door. There's a, a yellow skeleton, a <laughs> guy who frankly looks like he likes to open up his trench coat and flash children uh who's got like a shark smile and like a fedora on his head um a very small pirate and a goblin traditional you know green with spiky hair and uh not very well kempt teeth holding a shrunken head and they're all standing in the doorway looking into this room that has a fireplace and a bunch of uh, seats around a table as though it would be a good place to uh, have a story told to you, not unlike this beautiful treehouse in which we are sitting currently. Exactly. And it's very interesting because, um, so this, like I said, is a beginning reader book. It's from the I Can Read series. So there's that cover that I just showed you, and that's the one that I have. It's like, it's formatted a little bit differently where it doesn't have that fancy border around it it's really just the the main image but then there's this other one which um i don't know what the story is here this is like i don't know comic book where you have alternate covers to things but this looks like dark zimmer's 
artwork still, but it's got a different vibe and the details are a little bit different. What would you say is the, the main difference between the first cover and the one I just showed you here? Um, well, it's the same setting with all of the same characters. They are standing on what I can now explicitly see as a porch with a creaky staircase leading up to it. But they all look like they are, they've just been startled, you might say, because instead of the opening door leading to a cozy fireplace, it is opening to darkness with just a pair of eyes looking out at them. That is correct. I do like, I, I prefer the first image the first cover uh, the one that i have where they're kind of all doing their uh, monster thing and kind of leering sinisterly on the front porch in front of the dark room i do still enjoy the second image because it kind of hints that oh this is somewhat of a jovial group of uh, stories you know they're scary but not too scary because look the monsters themselves are getting spooked by a pair of glowing eyes and dark. Surely they themselves must not be that scary. So I do, I do like it for that kind of comforting quality about it. Yeah, the guy in the trench coat is not as uh, <laughs> menacing in a bad way on this cover because yeah. he just kind of looks like um teeny little super guy from uh, Sesame Street, that guy who like lives on glasses or whatever. I feel like he had a similar look. But in any case, uh, uh, both of these covers are what lead us into the contents. And we do like to um, share the back cover copy since this is a beginning reader book. Um, there's really not much to be seen here, but I'm going to read it anyway. It's, uh, it's just contained in this little box. And there's this really cute owl perched on top of the box. And it looks like it's kind of winking one eye. <laughs> Super adorable. Um, but it reads like this. It says... In a dark, dark room, in a soft, soft voice, tell a scary, scary story. There are seven spooky stories in this book. <laughs> I love that it goes from evocative and setting a mood with that first line, in a dark, dark room, in a soft, soft voice, and then just straight bare facts. Here's what this book is, a, is about. It goes from, like... Plot synopsis to product description. Like, oh, this is what you're going to encounter in this book. Oh, and by the way, there are seven spooky stories in this book. You're welcome. I like that balance of mood and information. And speaking of... You gotta be pragmatic. Yeah, you gotta let the people know. What's sorry, what sorry, I stepped on your uh, transition there. No, 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 not at all. So... Yeah, we're just going to dive right into this puppy and see what these seven spooky stories really uh, amount to. So, like I said, I really love Dirk Zimmer's illustrations in this book. They really, uh, when they need to, they have they kind of do a high-wire act of being adorable, but not in, like, a super saccharine way, just, like, quietly adorable. Um, like this first little... I don't know what you call it, a, a frontispiece uh, on the dedication page. It's just a cat sitting in a doorway. Its back is to us. He has kind of an Edward Gorey thing going on with all the crosshatching. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, there's just something slightly sinister but also cute about that cat just sitting there. It's like, oh, what, what's your deal, mister? 
what, what are you up to? Where, where are you off to? You're, you off to the story? Uh, and then we have another little decor in the form of uh, this illustration right uh, on the opposite side of the table. It's a skeleton reading a red book. And I love the candle that it's next to because it's a red candle. And it's mounted on this, what it can only be assumed is an animal skull of truly huge. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like or a like cat. A, yeah, right? A giant alien skull or something. Yeah, yeah, it could be like a the skull of a gray. Uh, but there's a real. This is a really cute setup um, that comes into play later in the book. The skeleton reading his little his little uh, tome of scary stories on his bench next to his cattle skull candelabrum. Uh, but these are our contents. So this book actually has a forward. Excuse me, a forward. Mm. Uh, so pretty fancy already. Uh, well, you know what? I won't. I'll introduce the stories as we get to them. So here we have the foreword, and I'll, I'll just read it straight from the book. I'm not going to do this for every story, but this is the foreword. Forward from the author Alvin Alvin Schwartz. He says, "Most of us like scary stories because we like feeling scared. When there is no real danger, feeling scared is fun. The best time for these stories is at night." In front of a fire or in the dark, tell them slowly. S-L-O- You get it. Tell them slowly and quietly and everyone will have a good time. And that's it. That's the foreword from Alvin Schwartz. And I like that. Um, I didn't mention this, but this book was published in 1984. The first scary stories to tell in the dark was published in 1981. So I don't know actual history between each book's publication. I can't help but think, though, that Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark being published in 81, and this one being published three years later. I have to think or surmise that when Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark hit, it did make waves, you know, in, in those pre-internet early 80s days. It did make some waves to the point that Schwartz's agent or editor or publisher, somebody must have been uh, had had the foresight to approach him and say, could you do what you did for a younger audience, for kids who are just learning how to read? Because this foreword reads a lot like his introduction to Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, pared down to three sentences. Would you say that that's right from your memory of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, Eric? I can't say that I remember the foreword to Scary Stories, but it sounds like it's there's something familiar about it, so maybe I'm I have it stored away in my unconscious. Perhaps that could be the case. Says is probably the case with many of the things that we'll be talking about on this show that are kind of lodged somewhere in the dark recesses of our mind, and we are bringing them out into the light of our uh, of our meager fire that we have going going on here up in the treehouse so the first story in in a dark dark room is called the teeth does that do anything for you does that make you remember anything eric it's called the teeth you said the teeth yes um it makes me think of something that has nothing to do with this book which is uh i remember bruce coville um 
Do you know who Bruce, Bruce Coville is? He did like the My Teacher is an Alien series and all that. Oh, yes. I love Bruce Coville. Into the Land of the Unicorns. Yeah, I remember him saying in an interview that he always remembered this story that stuck with him about a girl um, who was being tormented by like an invisible vampire. So she was just running around screaming like, ah, it's fangs are in my neck or whatever. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> What a great, so was that that was just like an anecdotal story he heard from somebody or, or like I think talk? it was probably something he read as a kid and didn't remember what it was from, but just that that moment always stuck with him. Wow, look at that. We're talking about having memories lodged in our heads. Apparently, even back then, the authors of the, the same stories that we have lodged in our minds now, they themselves were also the victim of those uh, mental vampires, I guess you could say. That makes me think of the Horla. Uh, by Guy D. Oh, yeah. uh, so I wonder if it was maybe like an abridged or adapted of that story or just something entirely different. I'd love to track that down. But uh, the teeth. So like I said, these are fairly short stories. I could sit here and read each one, but I, I'm not going to do that. Uh, so basically the conceit of this story is this. It pretty The way this story sounds and runs, it almost it doesn't say so in the text, but it just makes me think of a dream. Uh, that somebody had our our hero here, which it doesn't say in the text, doesn't specify boy or girl, but Derek Zimmer uh, illustrates it as a boy who encounters three separate people uh, that he is either beseeching for help or is asking, hey, just what time is it? And each man that he runs into grins at him and exposes a set of very large and unsettling teeth. So the first mm-hmm. thing that he bumps into to ask the time, he lights a match, and that's uh, the nefarious gentleman that you spied in the first uh, the first edition of the cover that you saw uh, in the trench coat, uh, who, yes, looks very frightening, especially when he smiles. And so it's almost kind of like a gag, like a joke almost, uh, much the same way that some of the stories and scary stories to tell in the dark are kind of morbid gags the boy runs into a second man and uh, he's smoking a pipe apparently and he's got a set of teeth even larger than the those of the man before him and then oh guess what boy runs into a third man like oh my goodness i've seen these two crazy guys with these crazy sets of teeth and what does the third man say he's like well check these puppies out that's not what he says in the book but get the idea and his teeth are even longer than the first two and the story just ends with the boy saying i ran all the way home like uh that last little piggy and uh dirk zimmer integrates some uh, humorous touches in his illustration as you see the boy running away it looks like he's running past a uh, subway or a bus stop advertisement that's showing a toothpaste artwork it's just a tube of toothpaste being squeezed onto a toothbrush. And there's our sneaky little cat from before. I'm not sure if that cat appears in every story, uh, but it's kind of ducking out of eyeshot in this illustration, uh, perhaps to appear again. Who knows? But that is the width and breadth of the first story. Teeth. How does that make the you feel? Teeth. <laughs> yeah. Uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, right? You know, it's the little things sometimes. Just um, somebody smiling and having an abnormal 
uh, an, an abnormally sized smile. Sometimes that's all it takes. And since this is a beginning reader book and the stories are so short, um, that's pretty much what we're dealing with here. These are even more so than um, what we saw in Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Those stories are already pretty short and they're kind of gags already. But these are really just concept, concept, concept um, told very, very. Let me ask you this. Uh, like the are these also uh, pre-existing stories that he collected and adapted or are these originals? Fantastic question. So just like in Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, Alvin Schwartz included some back matter in his book. So on the last page, there's a little section called Where the Stories Come From. And it's not like an exhaustive bibliography. It's just like a line for each story where it was sourced from. So, yeah, these are essentially all adapted from folklore of a sort um, because there's one of them in here. Okay, yeah, it's the last one. Uh, but the teeth, it says, is based on a story from Suriname, parentheses, Dutch Guiana, Guinea, Dutch Guiana, collected in the 1920s by Melville and Francis Herskovitz. So, yes, this is an account that was apparently collected in a tome of folklore or, you know, oral lore of some kind that uh, Schwartz adapted for a modern child audience and same goes for all the ones in the book as well um i think you'll recognize this next one actually stop me if you've heard it before it's called in the graveyard and then and this one i will read a little bit from it says a woman in a graveyard sat Ooh. very short and very fat Ooh. <laughs> she saw three corpses carried in Ooh. Very tall and very thin. Ooh. To the corpses, the woman said, Will I be like you when I am dead? Ooh. To the woman, the corpses said, You will be like us when you are dead. Ooh. To the corpses, the woman said, <laughs> She screamed. That's what she did. And it frightened everybody. Does that sound familiar to you by any chance? Uh, no. When you said, what was the title of this story? In the Graveyard? So that's what they call it in this book, In the Graveyard. But uh, that doesn't recall anything that uh, you might have heard in another one of Schwartz's works. Is it something from... Uh, the first thing that I thought of was when the boy has to go pin uh, his knife into the grave to prove that he... Because his friends dare you remember that story? There's different versions of that story. The one from Scary Stories That Tell in the Dark is actually called uh, The Girl Who Stood on a Grave. Um, but yeah, same idea. She pins the, the knife into the ground and oh, she thinks she's being held down by the corpse. But as it turns out, whoops, she stuck it through her dress and died of fright. The end. Good night, kids. Um, so speaking of other things that were in Scary Stories That Tell in the Dark. In the Graveyard is a play on this song uh, from the first book called Old Woman, All Skin and Bone. Mm. So, yeah, basically the same idea. A lot of people remember the first song from the first book. Yeah. Have you ever heard When the Hearse Goes By? That's the other song <laughs> that's in the book. But yeah, as opposed to Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark in the Graveyard, 
changes it to a short and fat woman, which um, I kind of think I like. It's interesting because the character is somebody who doesn't already look like a corpse, unlike the old lady from the story. So it's like, well, what honestly, what difference does it make if that's what you're going to look like when you're dead? You're pretty much there already. But here it's like somebody who's full of life, <laughs> quite literally. Um, so there's more of a contrast between the two characters or ideas, uh, the idea of corpulence and the idea of corpulence. So the third story in the book is one you may not necessarily recall in of itself, but I'm sure you could probably guess based on exposure you had to maybe other versions of it, uh, where this is going. It's called The Green Ribbon. Oh. I don't know if you can see that first picture. Yeah, it almost looks like an illustrated version of like an old antique photo you might find in a family album or a thrift shop. And it's vaguely unsettling because it's just somebody who is dead and long gone smiling out, you know, to the camera, essentially. Uh, but yeah, it's called the Green Ribbon. And I don't know if you can see the ubiquitous ribbon and where I sure can on the character. Where is the ribbon? Well, I'd say that's around her neck. Aha. Uh, any guesses as to where this story may be headed or may even um, what it's about? Well, I feel like it's about a normally I would say a woman, but by the illustration, I would say girl mm -hmm. who always has a fashion accessory tied around her neck in the form of a green ribbon. And she warns her recess boyfriend i guess is she supposed to be like a kid in that illustration or is the story about a she grows up she grows up and time okay. passes, that makes so sense you may you may go ahead and make your assumption <laughs> and uh she tells her lover we <laughs> I, I will love you forever but also don't mess with this ribbon on my neck and he's like okay i won't but of course curiosity gets the better of him and eventually when she's asleep he pulls the ribbon off of her neck and her head falls off and falls oh. off with a kerplunk. And it does indeed. <laughs> and yes, our friend the cat makes another cameo appearance, giving a very skeptical look to the, uh, I guess you can't say severed, but the fallen head on the floor. Um, so yeah, what I like about this version actually is that other versions of the story or ones like it um you know like adaptations um that i've read or seen they would run exactly like you said where oh it's the character's curiosity gets the better of them he he or she just can't help but reach over and find out what the mystery is all about but here it's really sweet because you know this girl is normal in every other way except she is constantly wearing this green ribbon around her neck and she meets a boy named Alfred. Her name is Jenny, Jenny and Alfred. And they eventually fall in love and get married. And yeah, he, you know, is of course curious. He says, now that we are married, you must tell me about the green ribbon. You must tell me about the green ribbon. And Jenny says, you still must wait. I will tell you when the right time comes. And of course, like you had assumed, one would think that that's setting it up for 
just to spur on the narrator or the protagonist's curiosity even more. Oh, she's telling me to wait, but I can't wait. What's this all about? She's keeping something from me. But it's um, really sweet because uh, it's not until they are old and bent and Jenny is on her deathbed that she uh, acquiesces to her husband's curiosity. She says, Alfred, now I can tell you about the green ribbon. Untie it. And you will see why I could not tell you before. So that's not exactly accurate because she's not telling him a damn thing. She's bringing, springing a really rude surprise on him. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I do, I do think it's sweet that he he kept his word and he stuck by her until she was literally on her deathbed, and he did not untie it until that last moment. And at that point, it's like, well. I guess this doesn't make a diff- any difference one way or the other. But, uh, yeah, I guess, hey, apparently there are other things in life that will kill you and bring about your, your end, but a severed head is not one of them, so long as you have a green ribbon handily available to keep it tied to your neck. So I guess that's the moral there. Yeah, it's a pretty wide ribbon also from the illustrations. So you need a good yeah. sturdy thick ribbon to make sure your head's not just going to fall off again. That's how it looks in the first illustration when you see her as a little girl. It almost looks like a scarf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by the final one, it looks like it's kind of you know, on the thin, silky side. So it's like, I don't know. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> Apparently, there have been, you know, the internet being the internet, there have there has been at least one article written um by an uh, an internet journalist about um the red flags that are rampant in this very short story and how alfred really should have maybe asked some more questions or how he could have gone all those decades without realizing that his wife's head was loose and only being held together <laughs> you know certain circumstances where maybe that would have come to light before those final moments on the deathbed uh so they got a point i I guess yeah when they're at a a metallica concert and she's the only one not headbanging yeah it's like honey is there something you'd like to tell me i I just don't like this song it's not one of their best um yeah jenny yeah but i do like the idea that he actually respected the wish though like you say it's like that's kind of nice yeah, isn't that sweet? You know, that's not the course uh, versions of that story normally take. So we appreciate that. Thank you, Alvin Schwartz, for standing standing by us. So the story following that it does is, it oh, does kind of make sorry, her into ahead. a bit of a villain, though. Like in terms of like, oh right, yeah, makes him sweet, makes her motives questionable. Like maybe she just wants him to die of a heart attack, so they both go at the exact same time. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, if I'm already out the door, then you might as well follow me through the pearly gates. And what is he going to tell the authorities when they, it's like, oh, her head just fell off? <laughs> it was I don't there. Think so, old man. Yeah, likely story. Anything you say can and will be held against you, Alfred, the annihilator. <laughs> so. The next story is our title story in a dark, dark room. And um, calling it a story, I guess, is a little bit much because it's almost like uh, an incantation, (laughs) which I like. Um, 
it makes me think of, you know, the kind of chant that you might do for a Bloody Mary or a Candyman type ritual. Um, but it's a self-contained little thing. It's almost maybe like a, a schoolyard uh, chant or a rhyme that, you know, kids just run around flicking upon each other to raise a, a hackle or a yelp or two. Uh, but it's short enough and fun enough to just go through it quickly. Uh, so it goes like this. It goes, in a dark, dark wood, there was a dark, dark house. And in that dark, dark house, there was a dark, dark room. And in that room, there was a dark, dark chest. And in that dark, dark chest, there was a dark, dark shelf. And on that dark, dark shelf, there was a dark, dark box. And in that dark, dark box, there was a ghost. A ghost. A ghost. Ghost. Not what I was expecting. Yeah, didn't see that coming. Yikes. And um, I'm sure had this been scary stories to tell in the dark, Alvin Schwartz would have had a really handy parenthesis, uh, parenthetical after that line in all caps where he said, this is the part where you reach out and grab the person closest to you and scream the line at the top of your lungs. Uh, but we don't get that here because this is just for beginning readers, and I guess they'll figure that out on their own. So, I'm pretty sure I've heard a version of this story where it's a fake out at the end where it turns out to be like a mouse or something. Yeah, I've heard that too. So I think uh, I think there are multiple versions running around out there, just like there is of all this other stuff. But it's interesting that in this particular case, it's like, well, choose your own ending, I guess. How, how scary do you want to get here? You want to just get like a fake little you know, scare that'll get a titter out of somebody like <laughs> a mouse. That's silly. Or do you want to, you want to go for the jugular and, you know, just, you know, if you were really mean, if I was telling this story to a child, uh, um, I probably would only go so far as the dark, dark chest, or I, I would just scream a ghost in the middle of a line. Like I would say, and in that dark, dark chest, a ghost. And I just jump out and, and scare the bejesus out of them. But that's me, because I'm a sadist. <laughs> yeah, well, I like the idea of that. It kind of makes me wonder if uh, that's where Joe Hill got the inspiration for Heart Shaped Box. Like the idea of, because normally you don't think of a ghost as being contained by anything. That's possibly a spurious connection, but it's one I'm making regardless. Hey, this is the podcast of Spurious Connections. So we are on a great path in that regard. Uh, so yeah, moving on to the next story, it will probably not be familiar to you by name because it's not a name or a title that the story normally goes by, but it's called The Night It Rained. I know I haven't been doing this for all the stories, but I'm going to do it for this one. I'm holding it up to the camera. How would, what would you say is happening in, in this first image we see in the story? You got a good view of it? I would say that there is a possibly a boy who is taller than the car that is also in the picture um there's a boy standing on the sidewalk and a man with the most gigantic mustache is driving by him in a red uh hatchback 
Yes, and uh, I, you can't quite tell it from the picture because it's kind of hard to distinguish with the cross-hatching and whatnot, but uh, we are presuming, especially from the title, that it's raining out. Um, and the boy has kind of a, a sodden look to him. And um, I don't know, there's just... Yeah, the, the proportions are one thing about this picture that I, I actually like about it because, I don't know... I don't know how to put it into words. It just adds a little bit of a surreal dreamlike flavor to the image. Like, oh, well, the things you see in the picture were grounding it in reality, like especially with the model car and whatnot. But the proportions are just off. Um, and the boy, like you said, you could almost pass for a man. And he's got this genuinely depressed, downtrodden look to his face. Um, yes. I don't know, it really resonates with me for some reason. You feel like a sad boy? I feel like a sad boy in the rain. Uh, that was a, that's actually my Twitter handle, sad boy in the rain. Uh, just kidding, I'm not on Twitter. But anyway, like I said, not familiar from the title or even the image. I'm sure maybe from the image you could glean a guess, though, as to what uh, what folkloric mainstay we're probably dealing with here any ideas um is it like the hitchhiker story where i keep seeing the same boy over and over uh correct with the first statement the the way this story goes it's um it's a bit abbreviated in that regard uh, he doesn't see him over and over again but we are indefinite vanishing hitchhiker territory here uh, the way the story mm. goes the man sees the boy standing alone in the rain asks him if he needs a ride home and the boy's like well yes thank you very much i would like that very much and uh, the man says uh, it's told in the first person man it is cold tonight uh i said and you are wet you had better put this on and uh he gives him his the man gives him uh, the boy the, his old sweater and he says keep the sweater i will get it tomorrow what is your name jim the boy says thanks for the ride drops him off at the house Lo and behold, our uh, good Samaritan returns the following day to the house, speaks to Jim's mother, and what should the mother tell him? But I'm sorry, Jim is our son, and he's been dead for almost a year. That line um, is something, this is a random tangent of sorts, but uh, that is a line that I appropriate into my daily life. Um, any chance I get... If somebody's talking about really just anything, like usually people or a place, like, oh, I remember this place being there or I went to this place. And um, I don't know, I guess just because I have this story and others like it ingrained in my head, I always feel the need when people are relating their uh, daily anecdotes to me. I always have to tag it with, well, what are you talking about? Jim's not here. He's been dead for the last 20 years or that place burned down five years ago. Um, but that's because I'm me and I grew up reading the things that I did. Yeah, maybe, that's fun. Maybe that's you too. Do you do that? Do you do that? Uh, only when people are talking about somebody who has actually died recently and they're very <laughs> upset about it. <laughs> As you should. Because, you know, what, what better way to enliven the mood and bring up the spirits by bringing up some spirits 
<laughs> when somebody's telling an anecdote about a memory they have of their grandmother who just passed away, and I like to be like, your grandmother? Why, she's been dead for two weeks now. <laughs> and they go, yeah, I know, dickhead. <laughs> That's good. I love that. I've never heard a variant of the vanishing hitch- hitchhiker story with um, a kid, though. Yeah, right. That's different. So that's, I wonder if that was because, like, because they were doing it for a younger audience, or if that was the version that he actually heard. Yeah, and on the uh, on that last page where the stories come from, all it says is "The Night It Rained" is based on variants of the widespread folktale, the ghostly hitchhiker. So, is one of those variants one with a boy? Did Schwartz have a little bit of creative license? Who knows? And I guess, who cares? Well, we do. I mean, let's be honest. We, um, yeah, I, I just asked the question because I care. Good Lord. <laughs> well, hey, let's not talk about insensitivity here. Mr. <laughs> My mother died two weeks ago. So <laughs> our next story, speaking of ghosts, um, I, don't, I don't know. I, I just like that it's called The Pirate. I don't know why. I don't know why. But the story's called The Pirate. And it's about a young gal named uh, Ruth who is spending a vacation with her cousin Susan. And Susan tells her that a pirate once lived in her house. He died in the room where you are staying. His ghost is supposed to haunt that room. But we've never seen it. And, of course, Ruth being Ruth. I mean, just look at her sitting all playfully on fence posts with her kickball. And uh, her dead-eyed terrier looking on. She, of course, says, I don't believe in ghosts. Well, well, well. We are going to tell that in this here story. Um, So even though she doesn't believe in ghosts, she can't help but take a look around the room. She actually does a thorough job of it. Looking under the rug, under the bed, with her little terrier. So the the cat that we had previously seen, I don't know, uh, maybe it's a some kind of supernatural creature that can morph into other animals because this little terror looks all the world for all the world like the cat, just in dog form. Uh, but yeah, Ruth cannot find one sign of a pirate ghost or a ghost pirate inside the bedroom. So all satisfied with her search, she hunkers down into bed, all nice and cozy with Toto there. And she says, just as I thought, she said to herself, there is no one in this room but me. And I got to admit, this book has a great, uh, this story has a great punchline because the way it puts it is, then a big voice said, and me. I like how it said not like a creepy voice or a creaky voice or an echoing voice. It said a big voice. I don't know. That's just creepier to me. The idea that there's not only a ghost in the room, but it's probably taken on gigantic proportions. I don't know. This is an interesting story. It's a pirate ghost or a ghost pirate. And and the neat thing, too, um, I know you can't see this, listeners, but I'm flashing the illustrations to Eric. You don't actually see the pirate ghost at the end. He, he doesn't pop out from behind the bookcase and go booga booga like the ghost from In a Dark, Dark Room does when it pops out of the chest. It's just Ruth sitting up straight in her bed, and it's kind of funny because the dog is still sleeping, so defying all the stereotypes of animals with regards to the supernatural, that dog is 
cozy as hell and he's not waking up. But, uh, Ruth is just looking up in terror. And it's interesting because she's looking across the room at a door, presumably the closet. Maybe it's the hallway, but I guess it's the closet. And there's just a light, some kind of glow emanating from underneath the door. So apparently the pirate ghost or the ghost pirate is in the closet and it has made itself known by bellowing out the punchline of the story, which is, and me. I don't know. What do you think about all that, sir? Uh, Well, I'm just amazed that she went on to become a Supreme Court justice in her twilight years. It all started there. Yeah, who would have thought? Yeah, yeah. It all starts with a pirate ghost. Yeah, what you didn't see, um, Schwartz didn't include it in his retelling of the famous uh, anecdote. But uh, on the next page, uh, Ruth just pointed at the closet door and said, I dissent. And the pirate ghost said, well, okay, if you're going to be that way. And he vanished and was never heard from again. So, yeah, it's amazing how uh, these things start even in childhood. She's a legend. She is. So the very last quote-unquote story in the book is a little ditty called uh, The Ghost of John. Uh, And I'll just go ahead and read it since it's like literally five lines long. Uh, So the illustration is um, what you may recognize, Eric. Uh, but I'll explain to our listeners. It's a skeleton standing in the midst of whatever, a forest, some kind of creepy property next to a hollowed out tree. There's our winking uh, owl up in the branches. Uh, our sneaky little cat is slinking behind some fence posts. And the owl just, uh, excuse me, the skeleton just looks like he's standing there and shivering his little bones off. Um, but the, it reads like this. It says... Have you seen the ghost of John? Long white bones and flesh all gone. G-O-N-E, gone. Ooh, wouldn't it be chilly with no skin on? And that's it. And if you flip to where the stories come from in the back, it says the ghost of John was collected by the compiler presumably Mr. Schwartz, was collected by the compiler in 1979 from Lynette M. Lee, age 8, Stockton, California. So that last little in the book was just a creepy thing that some kid told Alvin Schwartz. uh, Probably uh, unprovoked, you know, Alvin Schwartz probably didn't introduce himself like, hello, I'm an author. I'm compiling a book of ghost stories. Do you have anything creepy to tell me? This just seems like something that a kid would say stream of conscious uh, consciousness uh, in the middle of the day. You know, uh, Alvin Schwartz may have just been like sitting next to her on the bus and no introductions were needed. And the kid just whipped this one out. And he's like, you know what? That's going in my next book. What's your name? Lynette M. Lee, age eight. Okay, I'm going to credit you because I'm a responsible uh, folklorist and and archivist. So that's the ghost of John. Good to attribute your sources so you don't get the lawsuit later on. Yeah, you got to credit, give credit where credit is due. Uh, But a cute touch, again, with the illustration. 
questions from Derek Zimmer. We see the ghost of John here, which is a, just a shivering skeleton. Here he is shivering. We turn the page and we see the same illustration from the table of contents, but instead of the skeleton sitting there next to that cattle skull with the candle stuck into the top, it's just the empty bench with the closed book and the candle snuffed out. So I really like that because that leads one to believe that that skeleton we see on the cover and across from the table of contents is our friend John from the house. Oh. Wow, they planted that seed early on. Really? Yeah, Mr. Zimmer, props. Props to you. So I do want to show you one little quick thing. So very much like uh, the scary stories to tell in the dark books that were originally illustrated by Stephen Gamble in the 80s and early 90s, they were republished, what was it, the mid-aughts, late aughts, um, with new illustrations by Brett Helquist, who's the guy that did um, all the illustrations for the series of Unfortunate Events books. And there was a lot of like, outcry over that um, because, I mean, I, I, I feel bad for Brad Helquist. I mean, nobody should be given the burden of filling those shoes. Um, but, uh, you know, of course, he did an admirable job, but Stephen Gamble Stephen Gamble, and, you know, that stuff is psychologically scarring. So kind of the same thing happened with In a Dark, Dark Room. It was republished, and I don't have the new version here in front of me to check the copyright date. But they were republished with new illustrations by a, um, a Spanish illustrator, I believe. And I say that because I do believe he is from Spain, named Victor Rivas. Rivas? Am I getting that right? Victor Rivas. Um, and the link I just sent you, Eric, is to a blog. I kind of show some screenshots of Dirk Zimmer's work right alongside Victor Rivas, and I apologize, I'm probably mispronouncing, Victor Rivas. Um, just what are some of your impressions as you scroll through and you kind of compare them side by side? Well, you mentioned Edward Gorey earlier, and I would say these, have a, the, these new illustrations have a pretty strong resemblance to Edward Gorey or like kind of that Tim Burton, everybody has gigantic round white eyes mm. style. Uh, I don't know. I think I might have to say I like these new illustrations better. Sorry, Dirk. <laughs> well, understandable. Understandable. What is it that you like? Like how uh, our listeners don't have the benefit of seeing these right now as they listen to the episode. How would you say they compare? You told a little bit, explained a little bit about the, the stylistic look of them. What else would you say? about uh, the new illustrations well they definitely feel i don't know when they were oh it says 2019 they yeah. definitely feel like uh well the blog was published in 2019 oh. in 2017 harper collins re-illustrated the series yeah they definitely feel more um contemporary there i'd say dirk zimmer's illustrations are very much of their particular time and place mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm still scrolling through. Well, you, speaking of the Tomb of Lygia, which was a different episode, uh, there's one where there's a skeleton in like a cool 
Victorian-looking coat, and he's got like the gigantic top hat and um, purple shades. Yeah, that's right. And then the girl in that illustration has the striped leggings, like a Tim Burton character. Yeah, good, good eye. Yeah, these are really cool. I like these. I would hang these on my wall. <laughs> they are really nice. And then the ghost. I'm guessing this ghost is from the dark, dark room. Yes. So yeah, that's the ghost from the dark, dark room. The re-illustration of that is really cool. It's got like a more of a zombie with like the sunken feature. Like a, it kind of looks like the corpse from the end of Psycho or something, but yeah. stylized to be like purple so that it's not too grotesque. And it's got like all this crazy hair flying in all directions with a giant eyeball. Wow, these are cool. I like these. Yeah, yeah. I am looking at the ghost one now, and I love how the eyeball of the ghost is so huge, but the actual pupil is this little period just in the center of it. So it gives you the sensation of like this huge hypnotic eye, and that little dot is just honed in on you. And Zimmer's style is... um. A little bit like, uh, what's his name, Shel Silverstein? Yes. Um, in terms of, like, exaggerating these particular, like, making everybody's nose, like, really long and, like, kind of grotesque looking. And they all have, like, the big nostril on the side that is unappealing, but, you like, purposefully unappealing, I would say. Right. Um, like, everybody looks like a, a British guy named Nigel a nose that he would have, you know. <laughs> Nigel Thornberry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and these new ones are, I mean, of a Spanish or Mexican artist, whatever he is. Not to say that those are the exact same culture. But, uh, yeah, it does kind of remind me of, like, the Dia de los Muertos La Catrina style with everybody having like big giant eyes and and they're there's they're funny too. There's like a sense of humor to them. Yeah, I think you were on the money with the Tim Burden uh comparisons, especially like those characters from the teeth. They have this kind of rounded uh claymation look to them. Like you can see them being yeah, yeah being animated in that fashion. Yeah, they, I, I do like both sets for different reasons, but I think it's just through the benefit of Victor Rivas being a contemporary author. He has modern sensibilities. There seems more that's identifiable to me as a you know currently living person <laughs> um, in, in his illustration. Like, it, it feels more at home. Yeah. I don't know. I got to... It's no contest for me, I have to say. <laughs> no, I, okay. I like these Rebus ones a lot better. They look like, uh, yeah, like um, a girl with pink hair would definitely get these characters tattooed on her, <laughs> I don't know, bicep or something. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. And I'm, I'm really glad that they actually made the decision to, uh, to revamp this book because it could very well have just continued languishing on the shelves, just like... Um, Alvin Schwartz's other uh, books for this age group, you know, all the, you know, carrot in my ear uh, aged readers. Um, But I guess it's just through the, the force of the popularity of scary stories that tell in the dark 
that they were like, you know what? He has this other one. Maybe we should give this another, a second go around and another polish. And I'm really glad they did because it opens the door up to a, a whole new uh, audience of readers for the modern age. Yeah, unlike those new scary story editions whose illustrator I already forgot the name of. Yep, Brett Helquist. Uh, <laughs> that hack. Just kidding. Sorry, Brett. I mean, I like his style too. I think he just suffered by comparison because it's like they weren't really creepy. I know anybody would have, and yeah, they were they were way more muted in comparison. Um, I mean, practically anything would be. You know, just Stephen Gamble went so over the top <laughs> uh, with his stuff, but you don't need us to tell you that. And you know, even modern uh, kids, modern audiences still respond to it. You know, of course, they have the help of uh, the movie adaptation because it's been brought into a, a new visual medium that modern uh, kids would be perhaps more familiar with. But I, I show I show the illustrations to third through fifth graders this past year at the school where I work and you know that they still raise hackles and they still like that stuff you know that um despite how old those books are and how old those illustrations are they haven't lost any of their power yeah so I would definitely say though as far as in a dark room is concerned I would definitely put this in a time capsule there's no way that this is going in the bargain bin even with Dirk Zimmer's uh, slightly dated and musty illustrations i think this book definitely uh, stands the test of time uh, especially as far as the stories are concerned you know they still they can still get the job done and i think um they still have the ability to to raise some goosebumps uh no matter who's drawing them yeah i agree all right and that's really what the the hope is for this podcast that eric agrees with everything that i say so we're off on a good start I agree. Perfect. Your check is in the mail. So that brings us to an end of another episode of Black Magic Treehouse. Just like Jack and Annie of old from the OG Magic Treehouse, we're going to be going back into the past and reliving uh, all these creepy little antiques and books and curiosities for as long as we can. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have fond or frightened memories of In a Dark, Dark Room, uh, please reach out to us uh, either through our website if you want to leave a comment there, blackmagictreehouse.com, or you can reach out to us through email. Let us know what you thought about this book, this episode, stuff you would like to see us cover in the future. Lord, we would love to hear that. I love hearing back from people and uh, being provided that sense of direction. So if you got something you'd love to hear us cover, uh, something you have fond memories of that you would never reread yourself because you are an adult and you are not going to subject yourself to that. We will subject ourselves to it at your behest. So go ahead and write us in. Our email address is blackmagictreehousepod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. Uh, and yeah, we uh, we hope you stick around for future episodes. Is there anything um, else you'd like to say about this book um now that i've exposed you to it do you think you might seek out this version or the one with victor rivas's awesome illustrations in the future eric uh yeah i don't know i might just go to that guy's website his, right? victor was it victor uh, victor yeah i might just go buy some kind of a print from him 
Yeah, see if he's selling. That would be a great idea. Support your local artist. Always, always a good thing to do. All right, yeah, I just wasn't sure if Not necessarily. I just like to leave the room in, in case there's I, I don't like railroading the conversation, so I, I try to open it up when I can. Uh, but yes, thanks for listening to us. We will see you again for another meeting in the treehouse. Uh, hope you have safe travels back through the woods. Until next time. Yep, be careful sneaking back in your bedroom windows. Shh, don't tell mom and dad. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Yay!